This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to Pacific Review from ABC Radio Australia. I'm Evan Wasuka. Coming up, Fiji's political future hangs in the balance as authorities turn to the military for help. Stranded in paradise, Australian tourists stuck in Vanuatu just days out from Christmas. And it's the festive time across the Pacific. We find out how people are spending their Christmas. First to Fiji, where there's still uncertainty over who will be the country's next Prime Minister. No party were able to win the majority of seats during last week's national election, and a coalition will now have to be formed to be the next government. Frank Bainimarama's Fiji First Party is facing a stiff challenge from a coalition made up of Sitiveni Rambuka's People's Alliance Party and the National Federation Party. Both groups, though, need the support of a third party, the Social Democratic Liberal Party, to form government. The ABC's reporter in Fiji, Lida Muvono, has been covering the story. Evan, we are now just minutes into the announcement being made by the vice president of Sedelpa as well as the winning candidates of Sedelpa that the management board meeting has completed, uh, has completed their deliberations and have they, they've chosen in favor of the People's Alliance Party and the National Federation Party coalition. It all came down to a vote of 26 people, <clears throat> and we understand that the majority, again, came down to the wire, but the majority ruled in favor of working with the opposition coalition. Uh, the next step now is that this coalition will have to inform His Excellency the President, Ratu William Katanivere, of their intention to form the next government. Following that, it is still the prerogative of the President to make the announcement to summon the first sitting of Parliament. Lita, you've, you've been there the whole day covering this event. How significant was it for, uh, for Sodelpa's board to, to swing this way? Was, it, was there always a question of whether it would happen? Um, this was very significant, Evan. As you can hear, the members of Sodelpa are still in celebration. Uh, people are, have been waiting quite tensely. We've had a lot of police. Uh, presence. We've had military presence and we've had um, supporters of both parties in and around the Southern Cross Hotel waiting for this momentum decision, um, Evan. This was uh, especially significant considering that it didn't, they didn't seem to be any way forward. Uh, but now the people of Fiji can look forward to at least knowing what happens next. And why did they have to go have a second vote? We had the first early in the week. Why did we have to go into a second one? Evan, following the first management board meeting of the Sadelpa party, uh, there were concerns raised by its general secretary, Len Duru, that there were people on that management board who didn't have the right to be there. Um, apparently, the term of most of the management board members ended in June, and so it meant that because there hadn't been an annual general meeting to be re-elected, there were quite a few people who uh, could not be uh, in, in, the, in the position to even vote. Um, so last Tuesday, the management board members numbered 30, but today it was down to 26. So it was a matter of ensuring that the irregularities raised by the general secretary and endorsed by the Registrar of Political Parties, Mohammed Sanim, 
who is also the supervisor of elections. It was a matter of ensuring they had addressed those irregularities before they let the management board convene again. The ABC's reporter in Fiji, Lide Movono, speaking to me there. Earlier in the week, scores of Australian tourists found themselves stranded in Vanuatu after flights in and out of the country were disrupted due to mechanical failure. Air Vanuatu flights are now back up and running, but many tourists weren't sure if they'd make it home on time. Australian tourist Madeline spoke to reporter Jordan Fennell about her experience. We came to Vanuatu on the 11th of December for intending to stay for seven days for a holiday. Um, and we've been staying in the Holiday Inn um, Resort in Vanuatu uh, in Port Vila. Um, and when were you meant to fly out of Port Vila? So we were for, supposed to fly out early on Sunday morning on the 18th of December. Uh, that was our original leaving time. And um, when did you find out that either your... So I guess, yeah, how did you find out that that wasn't going to go ahead on, on the Sunday? <laughs> Well, actually through rumours around the poolside. So other tourists here is where I got my information first that things weren't necessarily going to plan as a number of other people had been planning on leaving a couple of days before us and they were still here um, and they mentioned that there were flight delays and issues happening with the plane and everyone was kind of just passing information around sort of the rumour mill because we hadn't received any official information. And when was it confirmed to you that you wouldn't be flying out on the Sunday? Well, we'd heard the rumours, so we knew that something might be happening, but um, we had a delay information the day before um, that said we would be leaving later, but they issued us with our new tickets and we checked in online for midday instead of 7am. And we came down, we went to the airport and everything, um, but the uh, ladies on the front desk at the hotel said, oh, everything's delayed, everything's delayed, but we'd had no official confirmation that anything had been delayed. So we thought it's better to go um, and find out what we can at the airport. And we did go um, and it was chaos. Uh, They had one person who knew what was going on, um, a manager, and she, I feel like she'd been hung out to dry, to be honest, because she was the only one there who knew anything or was able to organise or do anything for the people there. Um, And there was no one else there to help her other than um, the baggage boys (laughs) who couldn't really do anything to help us. So lines of people at the desk waiting to um, find out what was happening. Um, Again, there was still no confirmation. No one had any official announcement that anything was delayed. It was literally people passing information Um, from person to person Uh, and we stood at the desk and hand wrote our names on a sheet of paper so that they could contact the hotel that we had been at previously to say um, that we would our accommodation would be covered by Air Vanuatu so they were getting everyone to hand write their names and individually calling the hotels making sure that they knew that we were coming and that Air Vanuatu was footing the bill for the rest of the stay because uh, we weren't supposed to still be there. Yeah, and how did you feel when you found out that this was the situation you were going to be in? Oh, very frustrated. But uh, there were some people who'd already been delayed for three days by the time we got to the airport. So we knew that we weren't in it alone. Um, But, yeah, it was frustrating that there was such a lack of communication, which I know is very quite normal for um, our countries such as Vanuatu to have a different way of communicating um, and a different level of communication expectations. Um, But, I, yeah, it was disappointing that there wasn't more official communication more quickly about the situation Um, Also, because the situation was unknown, we didn't know what exactly the problem was. Um, It turns out 
again, this is from the rumour mill, um, but now has been officially confirmed that there was a part of the plane was broken. Um, so they could have told us way in advance that we wouldn't be getting on the flight because they still needed a part that hadn't come. And yet they just delayed our flight instead of saying, sorry, actually, it'll be a couple of days. The part hasn't come yet. Um, yeah, and they only have one plane in their fleet, which is why no flights were leaving Port Villa full stop on that airline. So the anything on that airline was stopped, not just flights to Sydney. Do you know if there's like many others who are at the Holiday Inn or even that you've been talking to, I guess, like other passengers who are also delayed in this situation? Yes, lots have been. Um, most have now left because we were, what, the third or fourth day of delayed flights. The others have been, they had. They actually had the plane fixed a couple of days ago. So they've been doing um, just con- constant back and forth uh, flights to catch up and take the other people home. I think we're one of the last couple of flights that is delayed and the rest will, will have been going on time now. Um, I guess yeah. when you first, like, obviously you'd be coming back for Christmas. Like, how did you feel um, when you were first told, I guess, did you have any worries and concerns about not making it back for Christmas? Definitely. I mean, this is the time of year when you plan so many things um, and we've been just cancelling and cancelling all our events and, you know, Christmas dinners and um, my brother's birthdays at this time. And so just all these events that we've had to miss out on or cancel because we've not been able to get back. Um, And yes, it was a constant concern of, are we going to be home in time for Christmas? My husband runs a really big carol service on Christmas Eve, um, which if he's not there for, that's a really big deal for that service. So, you know, it's just so much that we were stressed about. And also when you're trapped in um, paradise, it doesn't really feel like paradise (laughs) so much anymore. Yeah. And how does that, uh, I guess, make you reflect perhaps either on Vanuatu or perhaps just on the airline itself? Mm. Like, would you fly them again? What are your thoughts? Oh, I feel really bad because I know that the country is just opening up, I think a month ago after COVID, they were really late to open up. So everything's just getting back into gear and tourism is such a big part of their industry that I feel so bad for this experience because I don't think I will come back. Um, But it's not the fault of the wonderful people who are working and living and making their living in the tourism industry here. Um, So I feel a bit conflicted about it in that manner. Australian tourist Madeline speaking there to reporter Jordan Fennell. And in a statement, Air Vanuatu says it regrets that a significant number of its passengers were affected by cancelled or postponed flights since Friday the 16th of December. Environmental leaders in the Pacific are cautiously optimistic about a nuclear fusion breakthrough that could lead to green energy in a few decades. American scientists say they have created the first ever fusion ignition in a laboratory, paving the way for a technology that doesn't emit greenhouse gases nor produce radioactive waste. Debravka Volodair with more. Physicists have been working on the technology for decades, with scientists from California passing the milestone, which could set us on a course of near-endless clean energy. Professor Matthew Hole is one of Australia's leading fusion experts. Fusion is the process that powers the sun and the stars. If you can harness fusion on Earth, it does provide up to millions of years of sustainable emissions-free energy. So it is very promising. Fusion is different from nuclear fission technology, which splits heavy atoms apart to create energy, but also produces radioactive waste. Nuclear fusion, on the other hand, joins lighter elements together, 
which then release energy without meaningful amounts of radiation. Professor Andrew Stutchbury is the head of nuclear physics at the Australian National University. What they've done is, uh, for a very short period of time, got some isotopes of hydrogen called deuterium and tritium to fuse together and actually release more energy than it costs to force them together by this uh, laser confinement process. The hope is that this sort of energy can one day power our homes and businesses, replacing highly polluting fossil fuel or the current nuclear energy and reducing greenhouse gas emissions as a result. But that's still a long way off. The breakthrough was made in a laboratory and now needs to be replicated and rolled out on a bigger scale. Professor Hole estimates it will be decades before we could create such fusion-powered energy on a larger scale. Those timescale maps project energy from uh, as early as 2040, more realistically uh, sometimes 2050. Private sector investment could speed up that process but still not quickly enough for many countries to reach their 2030 climate targets, so they will have to rely on other sources, such as wind and solar, to cut their greenhouse gas emissions. But the experiment has brought a clean energy future, using fusion technology, a step closer. Reverend James Bagwan from the Pacific Conference of Churches is cautiously optimistic. This comes as, uh, as welcome news to show that it can be done, that we can make that shift and to show that, uh, you know, science uh, is doing its part in finding those alternatives. It's a big shift from people using the old excuse of, um, you know, the current form of nuclear energy to shift from uh, fossil fuel. Joseph Sikulu, the Pacific Director of the climate advocacy organization 360.org, echoes that view, saying it proves that the world needs to invest more in new science. So I think it's a really great breakthrough and it's really exciting, but that's all I can take it for at the moment because I know there's still not a lot that we know about it. There's still a lot to learn, still a long way to go. And so uh, we can celebrate this for what it is now, but at the moment, there are existing renewable energy sources that are available and we should be tapping into those. Nuclear science has a tragic legacy in the Pacific region. Islands were used by the United Kingdom, the United States and the French governments to test nuclear bombs, leading to health and environmental impacts from the radiation that communities are still dealing with today. And their plans to release treated waste caused by the Fukushima nuclear disaster into the Pacific Ocean. Though nuclear fusion uses different, cleaner technology, Reverend Bagwan also urges some vigilance. Here in the Pacific, with a legacy of uh, nuclear trauma from the nuclear tests in our region, and of course the current concern about Japan pouring uh, nuclear waste from uh, Fukushima into the Pacific Ocean, we are strongly uh, reminded. Obviously, this is something different, and uh, we look to see how this can be now scaled up. Professor Hole says nuclear fusion is safe, but hard to accomplish. A toroidal confinement experiment can't undergo a, a Chernobyl-type reaction. It can't run away. There is insufficient fuel in it for it to, even if it were to have a catastrophic leak, level of radiation at the background, at the perimeter would be at background levels. There is no danger. 
to the general public and there is no safety concern, as there would be with fission. He says nuclear fusion would be better suited for big cities with large industries and would unlikely power up small Pacific nations. Because of the, the nature of these reactions scale with machine size and temperature, because they scale with both, um, I think they are constrained more or less to provide big loads or supply big loads. And so consequently, they may not be suitable for smaller nations. But climate change is a global problem and needs a global answer. Reverend Bagwan believes the Pacific would benefit greatly from a world that's powered by clean energy, including fusion. Our carbon footprint isn't even the size of a toenail on the smallest toe. But that does not mean that we should also not be looking for alternatives. Whether it will pan out will depend on global political and industry commitment. Dubravka Voladier with that story. Celebrated Solomon Islands musician Charles Maimarosia has scored a win at the annual Victoria Music Awards Night. He won the Multicultural Arts Victoria Diaspora Award, which celebrates culturally and linguistically diverse creatives. Reporter Jordan Fennell caught up with Charles to chat about his musical journey and what the win means to him. I was excited, and I think it's a, it's a really good opportunity for Francis and Derek, my two sons, to witness that, yeah, something that they will be proud of. And also, it's not just me, but a lot of people that helped to, to come up to, to get this award. They are the reason why uh, the award was given, because without them, because I believe in uh, when we work together as a team or when you work with other artists to create something that is beautiful, it's always beautiful. So my happiness is not just for myself, it's for my family. It's to inspire those who think they couldn't make it, if a village boy can do it or anyone can do it. You started your musical journey in Solomon Islands and as part of a group, you were the lead singer uh, of a band. Uh, and But now you're a solo artist based in Melbourne, Australia. Tell me a little bit about what this journey has been like for you, your musical journey. Music itself, the journey isn't that easy because if it's easy a lot of people will be successful right now so you have up and downs uh, you have uh, a lot of falls always make always make sure that you fall forward not backward sometimes uh, you fall and sometimes you stand up when you stand every little pain every little pain has uh, a hidden treasure or a hidden a hidden thing that will make you grow. It's time you fall. Now, Charles, since the last time we spoke earlier this year, you were just about to perform in Womadelaide. And since then, you've been working on a new album, or two new albums, actually. Can you give us a little sneak peek at at what the album that's coming out next year is going to be about? Uh, It's uh, the song were written in my language. Uh, Some of them are pidgin, pidgin English. Uh, It talks about families talks about society, morals and values within societies, and about preservation. 
You were talking before about how you hope that this award that you've won inspires other Solomon Islanders and, and muses, musicians from the Pacific. Do you have any message for young Pacific Islanders who are watching your music career and, and might want to follow in your footsteps? Uh, Pacific Islanders, uh, you are someone that is special. You are someone that has uh, potential and has a lot of gifts like any other human beings on this planet. A few things for you to remember uh, is keep going. Uh, there are mountains, there are rivers to cross, uh, there are feelings, and there are hurts, and there are rocks. Everything there, you have to have a, a strong determination, a strong brain that will control those emotions. Uh, be prepared to stand when you fall. That was award-winning musician Charles Maimarosia speaking there to reporter Jordan Fennell. Christmas and New Year are fast approaching and many people across the Pacific are well into the festivities. Dubravka Voladere found out how people in the region will be spending their Christmas break. Hello, my, my name is Teuru and I'm in Rarotonga. This year I'm planning to celebrate my family as usual. Unfortunately, a few of them are in New Zealand and won't be able to come back because fares were very expensive this year. We split up the, the chores um, and my sister and I, the one who's in Wellington, we normally do most of the cooking and we especially, we always do the trifle, Christmas trifle. So this year um, I will be doing the trifle alone and I might let my daughter help me this time. <laughs> um, we'll see how that goes. The 31-year-old mother says the most important part of their Christmas tradition is spending time with family, enjoying their company, and eating good food. Last year, they played games together, and this year, they're planning to do something similar. A challenge was we made coconut cream from um, from scratch. So we timed the husking of the coconut, the grating of the coconut, and then the squeezing of the coconut. And whoever got it in the fastest time overall was the winner. Lunch with family is the highlight of their Christmas day, and preparations start on Christmas Eve. It's normally a roast lamb of some sort. And then some side dishes, we usually have Cook Islands raw fish, ikamata, a few different types of salads, and then we have the trifle for dessert. The Christmas trifle is a family tradition passed on by her grandmother. Like Tiuru's family, many other people in Rarotonga also come together on Christmas to watch and listen to traditional drumming and dancing. Hi, my name is Sharita. I'm from uh, Solomon Islands and I am 30 years old. For Sharita, the days before Christmas are very busy. She has a home-based cake business called Rita Sivi Cakes and she bakes delicious creations for her community in Honiara. We make fruit cakes, chocolate, lime. For Christmas, we use mixed fruits like sultana, dried fruits, and uh, also fresh fruits, mangoes, pineapple. They deliver most of her cakes on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and then it's time for Sharita to spend time with her own family. Christmas, for us, it's time to take a break, go to the beach, spend time with family, 
going a picnic, uh, go back to home village, visit family there, go to church. We have our cake, um, barbecue, chicken, sausage, lamb. We just uh, have families over. Celebrations usually last until New Year's, and she also attends church to celebrate and listen to Christmas carols. Hi everyone, my name is Moana and I'm 38 years old and I'm from Port Vila. Uh, my Christmas Eve celebrations this year would be hosting a community feast for um, the community that I've moved into this year to thank them for their hospitality sharing the spirit of Christmas with um, some people that do not have the opportunity to um, celebrate um, what Christmas is. Debravka Volodier reporting. And that's it from Pacific Review. I'm Evan Wasuka. Thank you for listening and do join us again at the same time next week for more news and views from around the Pacific. <laughs>